Uh, Carmen Rempel is often the speaker at Camp 8. She does an amazing job. Uh, yeah, she's great. But the, but the problem is that she lives in Kelowna, so it's kind of hard to make it back uh, for, a, for a reunion service. So I get to share this morning. And a, a funny thing happened on the last day uh, of Camp 8 when we were up there. And um, uh, oh, before I say that, we're, we're going to take a quick break from our, from our series that we're normally going through. On First Timothy, and we're going to conclude that next week on the Spirit-Filled Life, because, um, you know, it's Camp 8 service, which means I get to speak on whatever I want, <laughs> which is super fun. And uh, so I'm going to speak on my two favorite Bible verses um, this morning. And they came up as I was sitting across from Carmen up at Camp 8 on the, on the last day of camp, and I'm the video editor, so my, my desk for that is right here, and then her desk, the speaker, that, where they all they, they prepare the messages is directly across. So sometimes we peek past our laptops and have conversations. And so on the, on the final night, uh, Carmen was not looking at her computer. She was just kind of staring down at the desk. She looked confused. She's rarely ever confused. She's always just so on it and knows exactly what she's doing. But I looked over like, Carmen, what's up? Like, you look a little bit like you're lost in thought. And she's like, I don't know if the thing that I have prepared tonight is what we're supposed to talk about. She was just kind of praying and thinking. And so that launched us on a very distracting from my video editing conversation uh, about, um, we just got lost in this fun little topic of, if you could only say a few things to these campers and send them out and you never saw them again, like what would you tell them? It was so fun. And you're not supposed to give advice in sermons. That's not typically good speaking practice for sermons especially. Um, but we just thought like, what, what, would, what advice would you have for campers? We made this little fun little list and then we decided to kind of risk it and share it. <laughs> just Carmen and Jonathan's top five, I don't know how many tips there were, four or five tips for uh, remaining connected growing in your walk, being discipled. So she said some funny things. I just, I didn't say this in the last service, but I just remembered. One of the things she said was, if any of you come back next year and say you didn't experience God in real life at all, and you never touched your Bible, and you never prayed, I'm not listening to you. It was really funny. Just a couple of top tips. This is really great. But she asked me to share on one that's really near and dear to my heart. And it's about community, and it's about church. I like to use the term spiritual family a lot. And uh, a massive part of our discipleship is doing it in the context of community, and I'm so grateful, and it's something I'm really passionate about. But that night, when I got to share my little top tip, all I pretty much did was brag on our church and how much I love church in general, not even just ours, just the church at large, how important community is. I was pointing people out like Nate and others who've just, when you stay in the same place for a long time, you just grow close to people, and it becomes this massive piece of who you are. And I grew up as a pastor's kid, and so church was always a part of our life. And it, so it's been this slow realization of how it's, of how it's even though I grew up in the thick of it, uh, it's the most important thing to me, the community. And this thing that, that, that God calls um, church in Scripture. So what I didn't have time to do that night, that night though, was unpack the theology of why I believe that. We didn't have time to go into verses and do all those things. So this morning, what I want to do is go through my two favorite scriptures and uh, look at them from the lens of what do they say about long-term discipleship, how Jesus is building his church, and why that matters to you and me. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, the verse is Philippians 2. Favorite verse, favorite little section of scripture. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that or on your phones or whatever. It will be on the screen behind me as well. And we're going to kind of go through this slowly because there's something that we can learn from kind of every chunk. So 
We're getting into the thick of Scripture today. Uh, Philippians 2, we're going to start in verse 1, and then I'm going to stop a bunch. So, Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Okay, pause already. Uh, I don't know if you guys notice the tone that Paul is using here as he's writing um, to this church. But he's basically saying, if you're a Christian at all, like if anything has happened in your life, if you've tasted of the Spirit even one tiny bit, if you've ever had a, if, if you've experienced anything, then this. So notice the desperation. It's like setting the bar as low as he can, almost. It's like what he's saying. If you have anything, any courage, any comfort, any anything, um, and he says this, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So the direct implication of being a Christian, of experiencing Jesus, of following him, of all this stuff is immediately connected to this concept of being a super close, tight family. Like not just all showing up to the same stuff. Like look what it says. It says like-minded, same love, one spirit, one mind. Like this is, these aren't just friendships. Like this is something much more beautiful and deep. So that's striking. If you're a Christian, then, then somehow Paul's imploring, make my joy complete. Like this is strong language. As he's writing to this church as an apostle saying, please be together. And not just together, like one. Why? Why is this so crucial to the whole following Jesus thing? Why is this a direct implication? Let's keep reading. Let's go to verse, uh, let's go to verse 3 and 4. Um, here's, here's where the rubber kind of meets the road. Actually, the rubber's going to meet the road a bunch of times this morning. But the first time that it does is that's all a nice thought about being one and being together and being the super tight-knit family and everyone's really getting along and wow, we're just so close and together and we all have the same likes and we all love tennis and we all dress the same. Actually, it was really funny. Greg, can you stand up? <laughs> Greg and I dress the exact same today. <laughs> we, even have, we even have white shoes. <laughs> it was troubling. It was troubling. I walked in and I'm like, oh no. I put this outfit on and I'm like, I feel like Greg has this outfit. What are the odds he wears the exact same one? Hi, thank you. Appreciate that. Why did I say that? Oh, yeah, we all dress the same. Um, <coughs> yeah, one in spirit. One in wardrobe. Uh, it's all a nice thought, nice idea. So how do we actually do that? I mean, who's going to disagree with that? Let's all be friends and together and the same and love all the same things and be of the same. How? Well, here's the how. Here's the how. We're just, let's just keep reading. Um, do nothing, <laughs> do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is, this is the how of this crazy one family that Jesus says is integral and reflective of all that he is. So now there's this concept of humility that becomes deeply important to not just uh, to our salvation and to the outworking of it. Like humility is core, core, core function of what's going on. Uh, I think it's the flux of all relationships. I think humility is probably the number one tool when it comes to building things. Like if you come in low, 
it's a really great bedrock for a relationship. I think we know this instinctively. And uh, no, one, no one disagrees with, with, this, with this being good. I mean like capital G good. It's the superhero thing. When you see a superhero and they're selfless and they do the thing that, that, that doesn't benefit them at all and saves the day and everyone else was benefited and then they paid the cost, everyone's like, that is good, capital G. I see that. And we see it around us in the lives of, that we say, well, that was noble or that was an act of valor or that was honorable. That was a good thing. We know these people and we see it. Uh, so we know that it's good and we know that humility is worth pursuing. And I think that I've been so blessed by the people in my life that have been humble and built something that was bigger than them and beyond them. It served me, and I've known when that's happened. And it's such a blessing. So, again, no one's disagreeing. Let's be humble. Let's, let's consider others better than ourselves. Let's be selfless. All very noble ideas. Uh, but I think we need a model for this. I think we need a model. And so it's nice to say all that stuff, but this is, I mean, we're just going to keep reading because Jesus goes first, and he says, okay, you're going to consider others better than yourselves. You're going to uplift one another. That's how you're going to be one. Now watch me do it. He's going to be our model. So let's keep reading. Uh, next slide. So this is pretty explicit. Verse 5, in your relationships one another, with one another, you and me, in the church, friends, Christians, anyone, <laughs> not just in the church, outside the church, uh, everyone. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The same mindset as Christ Jesus. So that's a big statement. Like that's how, like you want to talk about humility. Let's talk about Jesus Christ for a second. Let's go to the next verse. This is what that looks like. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Okay. So Jesus is our model. Jesus is our model for this. Actually, can you go back one verse, Mitch? I want to I dwell on that one for a second. In your relationships, have, uh, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, so this means, we can make this little conclusion by that. We are the church, meaning we are being the kinds of relationships that we're supposed to be, the one, the, the, the humble, the, the perfect togetherness, that, that thing. We are that to the degree that we are Christ-like, to the degree that we exhibit that exact same mindset as him. Okay, so let's unpack what that mindset is. Next verse, go back to verse six. This is the most interesting piece to me. Who, Jesus, being the very nature of God, he's God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his, his own advantage. Now this is wild because he is fully God, has all the power, and could do whatever he wants, and could build a family and a kingdom in whatever way he saw fit. Anyways, instead, he takes this route called humility, and even though he was God, doesn't consider that fact something to be used to his own gain and advantage. Didn't even consider it. I love that word. He didn't even consider it as an option, because perfect relationship, as we're defining it this morning, is ultimate humility and considering others better than yourselves. So the, the way towards the most beautiful, intimate, 
kinds of relationships, like a Trinitarian sort of relationship. And we can't get into Trinitarian theology this morning, but the kind of oneness that is the same. And ah, it's more, it's more accurately defined by the relationships between the entities than the entities themselves. Like, it's just beautiful. Um, is not considering, it's, it's perfect submission and perfect obedience. Now, I was thinking of that, and like, hey, how am I going to translate that to everybody else here this morning? Because I don't think we're going to be like, oh, I'm tempted to think that I'm God. You know? I, I could see how Jesus could be tempted to think that he could grasp for power and build his kingdom with just might in the way that probably the, the Hebrews in the day would have wanted him to build it, right? We've talked about this in our church before, but the idea that uh, the Jews of the day were hoping Jesus was going to show up and build his kingdom with might and cast the, like, drive the Romans out and give them back their holy land, right? Like, they're hoping for some savior on a white horse. And then this guy comes along and doesn't consider his power something to be used to his own advantage. Well, this is backwards. So, uh, how does this apply to us? I don't think, I was trying to think, how are we going to compare this? Because we're not walking around wondering if we're God or not. I'm not really considering equality with God something to be used to my own advantage. And I stopped for a little longer and I thought, oh no, wait, actually no. Um, I consider myself my own God all the time. I make myself God all the time. I see myself as equal if not superior lots of days. And all of a sudden I find myself using the autonomy and will that God's given me for my own advantage. And something gets a little lost. So the question is, it's like, he's Lord or we are. And then it's funny, you make him Lord, and you follow him, and he goes a certain direction, and you're like, I don't know about that direction. I thought we were going to, like, I thought we were all going to use our power for our own advantage here. Like, I thought you were going to set us free from the Romans. <laughs> and he's going, no, 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 I'm Lord. Follow me. And this is where we're going. Wild. So, here's why I think he does that. Here's why I think that's where he's going. is because he's trying to build his church, and he's trying to build it all in relationship, and he's trying to build it all on love, the kind of things that you can only give and receive. You can't take. You can't use it to your own advantage. You can't use love for your own advantage. It stops being that instantly. That's what it, it changes from love immediately when you started to use it for your own advantage. That's why we call it love, because it's free. <laughs> then you get to receive it back, and then you give it freely again. And this is the kingdom he's trying to build. It all operates on that. Perfect relationship and humility and submission and love and beauty. And like, that's his kingdom. So he's got to pioneer that. So this is what I love. Um, I wrote this down. Maybe this is helpful for you. I think relationship, as we're defining it this morning, as the church, as one, as that beautiful kind of church, <laughs> capital C. I think that kind of relationship is perfectly designed to fall apart when it's used to our own advantage. The kind of relationship we're talking about this morning uh, can't be abused. It can't be contrived. It can't be grasped. It has to be given. Yeah. So Jesus is pretty committed to this fact. He's pretty committed to building this kind of kingdom. He's pretty committed to us being citizens of this kind of kingdom, which means, as we said before, he's got to go first, which means he has to pioneer ultimate humility and ultimate sacrifice to make a way for this to be possible. So let's keep reading. 
verse 7 and 8. This is what he does. Rather, so not, not used to his own advantage, rather, he made himself nothing, nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So have the same mindset in your relationships with one another as Christ Jesus. He humbled himself by obeying his father. Uh, we talk, sometimes we throw the word like death around, you know, as like a theological word. And for Jesus, it was very literal. It's a very, very literal word. Uh, it becomes a little more allegorical for us in terms of death of self. But I was thinking about this last week uh, as we just saw some baptisms in the backyard in the horse trough. And... Uh, that's super beautiful. There's a whole bunch of umbrellas. I think we all got baptized last week. Um, uh, you ever thought about how morbid baptism is? Like the imagery of it all? It's really morbid. It's like it's death. And I'm going to follow you, Jesus, into death. That is the imagery. And it's just this, this like, wow, what a, what a bold statement to make for your life. What a, what a bold direction to go <laughs> into the water. <laughs> and uh, wow, this is his kingdom. And so why? Why should we be obedient even unto death? Even under the, the complete rendering of what we would think would be used for our own advantage. Well, I think it's because he wants to set us free. But I'll give you two reasons why. Why should we build the church? Why should we build the church in the way that I think Jesus wants us to build it? Why should we build it with baptism? Why should we build it with considering others better than ourselves? Why should we build it through unity and humility? It's because I think when we, pers when we pursue that, we get this beautiful opportunity to be resurrected. And we get to be pulled out of the water. We get to go, we get to say, I'm participating you, with you in your sufferings, trusting that you will resurrect me, that you will give me life and hope and freedom and all that I need. And it's this complete act of surrender, not because we're trying to contrive something, but because it's like, no, I trust you to build your kingdom in your way. And it's the complete sign of trusting him to build it in whatever way he wants to build it. I want to read John, something from John 17, my second favorite chunk of scripture, so you'd think when you get to pick whatever you want to speak on, your two favorite Bible verses are going to wind up in it, and it happened today. So John 17, my favorite chapter, and this is Jesus praying before he goes to the cross, like in the upper room, wild. This is the whole thing is pretty much just red letters of him praying. This is how it starts. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. See this perfect, this perfect trust. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had given you before the world began. 
Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And so, uh, Jesus exhibits this amazing trust of obedience to his Father, and then he invites us to do the same. He's like, come follow me and obey me. And as you glorify me, I'll glorify you. I'll raise you up. I'll knit you into, I'll call you sons and daughters and heirs. But it's got to be my kingdom because it's best for you. I got to be in charge because I'm the one who's going to pioneer this and I will always do this and you need to follow my example. And then we wind up with the church. We don't, we don't wind up with an organization that tries to do good things. We wind up with people who have died to self and been resurrected with Christ and are filled with his spirit and are free to be loving and are free to build something that is heaven on earth actually. I think that's, I, that's what I want to do. I don't want to play church. I don't want to do nice things. Let's do nice things. But why? I want to be free. I want to have eternal life. <laughs> that's what I want. So what a beautiful invitation. You know, we talk about death a lot. It's like, oh, let's die to ourselves and let's suffer and let's submit. And it's like, yeah, so that. Like, I understand what resurrection is. Thank you very much. I'm following that model. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying it doesn't have its aches and pains. I get it. I get it. We have to die every day. But wow, is resurrection better than fighting it? Because he's so good and I trust him. So that's point number one of the invitation today of why should you come build the church? Come build the church with him. It's going to cost you a lot. And I promise you he'll resurrect you in that moment with his life and freedom and joy. Because he wants to set you free. A joke we make a lot of the time is that in our church is that, you know, life would be a whole lot easier if it was just you by yourself. And uh, you wouldn't need, like, a community comes and then it messes everything up. <laughs> People come into your life and you're like, oh, that got messy. And so that it can either, either be a gift. Yeah. Like, what if you took responsibility like Jesus did for the relationships around you? It's like, what if, I, what if I owned the lack of reconciliation in the world around me? What a beautiful gift that would be. So we're all messed up. You're welcome. It's a, our huge gift to you. And the second reason that I invite you to come build the church, wherever you're at and whatever you're doing, is it's the best, it's the best way to point to Jesus as, as king yeah. in this world, the way we live our lives and love one another. In scripture, I should have put it in here, but in, the, in scripture it says, like, they will know that Jesus is king by our love for one another. Yeah. Later in John 17, it says, I and them and you and me, may they be one so that the world will know that you sent me. Like, oneness is the plan for them knowing Jesus is the Messiah. And then I'm like, no, of course it is. Perfect submission and love and trust and unity is the best example of the, of the kind of kingdom Jesus is building. It's the best window into it because it's free people knowing they're saved. Not fighting to grasp for something with their own power. It's like, no, they're totally free. Look at them. Look at the way they give of themselves. Look at the way they love one another. It's so free. It's heaven on earth. So here's the image. That's what points to Jesus as king. As he goes, okay, here's the plan, people. Here's the plan. Uh, I'm going to go lay my life down. And then you hit, they've got a whole bunch of people. You've got a whole bunch of people watching him going like, oh, I wonder if I'm actually going to follow you. I wonder if I'm actually going to build your kingdom. Because that doesn't make a lot of sense, what you're doing. doesn't make a lot of sense. 
And uh, the, invi- the, the one of the one of the one of the verses in, in scripture that turns my heart upside down, maybe more than others. I maybe it's arbitrary why this one. But there's this one part in scripture where Jesus is like, he's got this big crowd following him because he's doing miracles, and it it almost seems in many ways that he's kind of exercising his own power and building this. I mean, he never wanted to do this, but Jesus, he's got thousands of people following him because of the dog and pony show of all the healings, and he's desperately trying to communicate who he really is through all that's going on. And so he kind of gives this little hard teaching on, um, on communion that we call it now, but he's like, eh, if you, in order to be in my kingdom, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everyone's like, that's weird. And uh, I feel like he almost did it to weed the crowd out, and it did. <laughs> oh, it did. And all that's left are his disciples. And it's one of the most vulnerable things I feel like Jesus ever really says. He goes, are you guys going to leave me too? Are you going to leave me also? And I love their response. It's like, where else do we go? Like, where else should I go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else am I going to go? So this is all weird. I don't get it. I don't, know, I don't get the death thing. <laughs> don't get that. Not fully making sense to me. But where else am I going to go? Is it up to me? Uh, that's way worse news. Because I get to trust him. So, uh, here's God's response to the ultimate obedience of his son. The ultimate example of what it's like to be in perfect relationship. This is God's response. It says, therefore, after the whole obedience to death on the cross thing, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so God says, you want to be one with me? Do you want to be the church? Do you want to be free? Do you want eternal life? Do you want to know me? Do you want to be reconciled to the person you were designed to know? This is your king. Follow him. This is who you are to follow. This is who you are to live your life like. And then watch me show my greatness through my church that's in submission to who I've put in charge of it. Scripture says that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. He's the the chief cornerstone, I believe. Meaning he's our example. So, one more verse for you in John 8.54. This is Jesus talking about how his whole wrestle with it. His whole wrestle with like, oh, this whole glory thing. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. So the invitation this morning, I think, would be to look at places maybe in our own lives where we're glorifying ourselves. Weird word to use, perhaps. Where am I glorifying myself? Maybe another way of saying it is what in my life am I using to my own advantage? Where are the places like, oh, this is about me. This is about me getting something. I treat church like this. This is like the number one thing I treat as the thing that I use for my own advantage. Relationships are really lovely things that are very easy to consume and very easy to use. But I would argue that the kind of perfect relationship that God would love to see inside his church falls apart when we use it to our own advantage. And we say, okay, I know that doesn't work. So what's your plan? Oh, you've given me a group of people to love Oh, you've put me in a family that I, that I have a place in and that I, 
I get to serve and grow with and that it costs me, but I know that you're there and there's fulfillment and there's security in knowing that I'm here, but there's significance in knowing that I'm a part of it and it's this beautiful picture of what it's like to be whole and free. And so don't glorify yourself. Don't use relationships to your own advantage. And I think an invitation that is, like, sometimes I'll, I'll say a sentence like, a great way to be free is to join something bigger than yourself. I think I say that a bunch. I don't mean that it's somehow magical that if you sign a membership certificate to a church, everything gets fixed. <laughs> it's not about that at all. Uh, it's like, where's your heart and what's God asking you to do? And are you following him? Because I promise you that where he's going is towards reconciliation, towards wholeness, and towards freedom. And we get to trust his plan for that. And wow, what a beautiful thing that that creates in his church. I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and I'd like to just pray for us. Lord, I thank you for your church, and I thank you for all the expressions of it in this city. So many amazing communities in and around us that are pursuing you, that are, that are elevating you to the role of king and head and cornerstone and chief and example and all of that. And so, Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would give your church the ability to be like you and to walk like you and to trust you in your plan. And I pray that as we do, not only would you show yourself to be king, but you would set us free at the same time, that you would set us free from ourselves, that you set us free from our selfishness, set us free from all that holds us back to knowing you intimately. And I thank you so much for the joy that that is. God, I think about the joy that being part of family brings me and it overwhelms me. The joy that it is to follow you with people and figure out what it means to be a disciple of yours. Man, what a beautiful opportunity. And so I pray that there wouldn't be one in this room that feels on the outside of that journey. And it's not about some title or some role. It's about the pursuit of you and following your example. And I pray that you give everyone here an opportunity to do so. And would you elevate yourself? Would you glorify yourself through our lives? Build your church, Father, through us. Use us. Thank you for the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.